to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account this unrepresentative swell over there. Hey, soon to be vaxxed, Rob. How you hey, going? Hey, half vaxxed, Nick. I'm great. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm good as well. <laughs> Interesting start. So, everyone, um, as you may have seen on your Facebooks or your Instagrams, this is breaking news as of this morning. Uh, West Australians 16 to 29 can get vaccinated now. Hell yeah. With Pfizer, if you don't diddly mind. And I don't want to say we called this or had any role in making this come about in the Mark McGowan government, but we did discuss that this was kind of the becoming the optimal strategy last week. Absolutely. And, you know, we're a big lobbying group on the McGowan government. Well, I hear McGowan does listen seriously. to the podcast. Of course. So, I don't want to you know, say we were kind of the reason why everyone will soon, in our age bracket, be vaccinated, but... I think we kind of are. I think we definitely are, Nick. I mean, hats off to me and you, Rob. I don't yeah. even need it. Round of applause for us. I'm on that AZ game, but... Oh, well, yeah. You're getting your next vaccine in, what, like another six months' time? <laughs> yeah. yeah, funnily enough, everyone will now be vaccinated before me. <laughs> How funny is that? Pretty funny. And I, I want to say on record, had I known that the vaccination, like the time between your first and second dose for AstraZeneca was 10 weeks, I, I may have reconsidered, but I only uh, got that bit of information as I was at the clinic. I was like, I'm already here, I may as well. Yeah, may as well. But I could have predicted this, I think. Could have or couldn't have? I could have, I think. Okay. Would have been possible. Yeah, well, mate, if you just did a bit of research, probably would have found that out. Allergic to research. Don't like it. Yeah, same here. Yeah. How you going though, Rob? I'm okay, man. You know, just ticking along, doing my thing here and there, stuff like that. Nice. How are you? Because that's what I really want to know. Yeah, you're, you're, you're at uni. You're doing interesting things. I'm kind of just <laughs> working. Yeah, that's, that's, there's no shame in that, my man. Um, I'm at uni doing, I guess, some interesting things. I actually have a big interesting story that I will use to launch into our kind of news. And it's just a bit of unsolicited advice slash I just want to tell this story about casual jobs and casual workers. Because little, as you now know, Rob, I'm now fun employed. Fun? Fun employed. Fun? Yeah, fun employed. What does that um, mean? <laughs> because last week I quit my job. Ah, uh, yes. Because my, oh, my boss... unemployed. Yeah, my boss sent me this really mean text blaming me for this event, this uh, theft event, when I, there was literally, everyone agreed there was nothing I could do. Yeah. And I was just like, I actually don't want to work here, so I just quit. Great that's call. just a, a good bit of, yeah, remember your rights as a casual worker. And obviously, I was in the extremely privileged position that I can just quit. Yeah. But you can always just quit. That's one of the great things about being casual. You can just quit on the spot. Yeah. No um, two weeks notice here, buddy. I literally, I was like, yeah, you have to find someone to do the shifts I'm rostered on for because I'm not doing them. <laughs> nice one, Nick. Let him, let him know about it, eh? Yeah. So I guess I'm just kind of champion of the working class. You no. should join your union, mate. Maybe well, your I, boss wouldn't have sent you that mean text if you were part of the, your union. Now that I'm fun employed, I, I don't have a union anymore, so. 
Isn't there like an unemployed union that just isn't a union? I don't know. <laughs> I know embarrassingly little about unions. Fair enough. Same here, to be honest. Yeah. Anyway, getting into the news. Sorry we missed the other week is that Christian Porter was made leader of the business in the House of Representatives while the other dude was away. Yeah, he's, he's just sneaking up old Christian, ain't he? Yeah, um, and that drew a lot of controversy. Grace Tame, of course, the um, sexual assault survivor who was very outspoken in that area this year and um, winner of the Australian of the Year, wrote an op-ed saying it was terrible that Christian Porter was made that position. Given yeah. everything that's happened. G- yeah, given that everything that's happened. Yeah. And um, yeah, look. what do you, And I heard this ABC journalist be like, what do you do about Christian Porter here? I, ho- I really hope that um, by some miracle he loses Pierce. Yeah, that'd be great. The lovely people of Pierce decide enough of you, Christian. But I think it's too much of a swing, even still. Yeah, it's quite a safe seat. It, even, it has been redrawn, though, so... Yeah, still not confident. Yeah, we'll see. But as a government even, what do you do Like when you're Scott Morrison? Because you had this very ambitious guy who was you know, intending to become prime minister and who naturally would gravitate to these important positions, who now is uh, obviously a very controversial figure and putting my own personal thoughts aside, like what do you do if you're Scott Morrison here? I feel like he should. Um, well, he can't because of his lack of majority but he should tell christian you're no longer a li- part of the liberal party yeah i yeah i think maybe i don't even think you would do that if you had the majority but like that's what i would do i think that's what a lot of people because i think i think the, pe- the i think the people of pierce and the lovely people of pierce might i add aren't exactly you know super attached to christian porter himself yeah but more the liberal party and the propaganda machine that runs with that and yeah you know, he would get a lot of credit in the public for doing that yeah, I think it'd, it'd go a long way outside of Pierce for him. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, but obviously again, that will never happen. And also that's in seats that don't really matter for him. Like he's not worried about seats that are following Christian Porter's, you know, rise and fall, I suppose. Because, this is true, you know, yeah. Again, he, he like the, the seats that he has to target are those, you know, like semi-rural seats in Queensland. Yeah, those are the, the seats in question. And let us remind everyone that the government is now on a very slim margin. And that leads really nicely into the next bit of news, which is... So, George Christensen, who is already just a insanely dumb figure. Yeah. <laughs> for reasons we can't get into, but just Google him. He's, <laughs> he's a government MP and he's a backbencher. He went on this crazy kind of rant about lockdowns and masks and about how like your know, masks aren't good for anything and obviously that's not the government's position it was very damaging for the government um yep. and you know government ministers were were called and couldn't even like say come out there and disagree with them and barnaby joyce said among other things he said don't prod the bear <laughs> because they're so worried that george christensen will turn around and, and leave the party and that would leave them in minority government i mean this is just Hilarious. This is why we talked about this last week. This is why you need fucking gender quotas in politics. So idiots like this don't, you know, snail their way in. And I will say snail because he has the physique of a snail into politics. You know, like no way this bloke's gotten on there in merit. 
right? George Christensen is there's this whole scandal with him and like flying to the Philippines, like charging the taxpayer exorbitant amounts of money. It's a whole thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's a great example yeah. of an MP that absolutely should not be in Parliament. Exactly. Many, yeah. many more uh, more successful candidates, you would think. And also, you got to ask, like, how has this bloke vetted all the processes of the Liberal Party? Yeah, I know. Ex- like, you know, not to shit on the Liberal Party, even though I do every single episode, but like... Come on, this has got to be better than that, right? Yeah, and it's 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 all of that politics of pre-selection, which is so important. Is can you get pre-selected for a kind of a safe liberal seat? Yeah, and that gets really nasty, and it is about who you know, and obviously there's huge problems there, especially for women, as we talked about last week. Clearly, uh, also the car park uh, fund scandal, uh, or the car park rorts scandal, is going to a Senate inquiry but we still don't have the top 20 list of marginal seats that they were operating off. And I, I say that because for the sports rort scandal, I've learned that we actually obtained a spreadsheet with marginal seats like color-coded that nice. you know, very <laughs> clearly demonstrated the scandal and corruption there. But we don't have that. And <laughs> I was listening to a funny podcast <laughs> where all these journalists were like, please leak, the- if you're in the government, please leak that marginal top 20 marginal states document to us <laughs> you just run all your ads in there nice yeah. but it's going to a senate inquiry um which is yeah i guess it'll keep the story running for a bit but they don't have the power to call ministers or ministerial staff in for questions so yeah peter out yeah maybe maybe could be one of the great peter outs this story yeah and yeah it goes again to that question of an integrity commission you know some kind of anti-corruption watchdog with powers to actually directly question the ministers responsible because right now because of stupid parliamentary rules you can't question the yeah. minister who's responsible alan tudge because he's not in that portfolio anymore and i also think like has pork barreling just become like normalized in australian politics now yeah well you had that thing where john barillaro just admitted to it yeah so like come on please can we, like, at least speed, you know, pretend like we're, you know, trying to run the government properly, not tr- tr- pork barreling constantly? I know. Because this is the second time this government, not not ScoMo as a PM, but this government since 2019 has had an issue like this. And that's just what's been seen. I fucking, I'd be very shocked if there wasn't more. Well, this just absolutely points to the need to an anti-corruption commission or institution within parliament. But of course, you know, this government will never do that. That's for damn sure. It's not in their interest, clearly. Anyway, to finish off, to recap our story from last week, really unfortunate news coming in last night from Afghanistan that the Taliban have essentially declared victory that the war was over after 20 years and have seized the capital, Kabul. Western countries are trying to fly their diplomats out, evacuate them. And there's this really just tragedy where women who for the first time in their lives could be educated under the new regime are now having to you know burn their books go back to not having that opportunity for education because the taliban are moving in now yeah i actually learned during the week that in afghanistan like elder women like women as opposed to girls aren't allowed to say their name really like you're not allowed to refer to women by their name it's like you know You'll say like, oh, it's 
so and so's wife or so and so's husband. Oh man! Because women are supposed to be like some, you know, like object yeah, defined defined by their relationship with the male. That's yeah. Well, truly fucked. Hey, obviously it's a horrific regime, and it's really terrible that's happened. What are the political consequences of this? I I think this you know it looks very very bad for Biden. I mean, you can't say it's nothing other than a huge blunder. Obviously, you hear his defense is it's not really my fault. Someone else started this. Yeah. It Didn't does, start it. At the end of the day, it he's the one who pulled out and he's the one who has to kind of cop that. Yeah, this does hurt Biden a lot. Um, I do sympathize with the it wasn't my fault problem. Yeah. And also the fact that, like, does the US can't afford this anymore? Yeah, um, well, that's the, that's the reason why they left. But, gee, it looks fucking grim when you see, you know, the Taliban running a country once again. It's, yeah, it certainly, it certainly does. What a tragic, tragic bit of news in this otherwise very tragic year anyway. Yeah, Nick, truly sucks, hey? And more suck, sucky news, uh, the IPCC report, which we alluded to last week but we actually didn't have access to before we recorded has come out it has come out nick and And it is not optimistic code red for humanity 1.5 degrees by 2030 yeah you we can so yeah 1.5 degrees will happen we can prevent that happening uh, going over that if we take drastic action and immediate action of that and that's not going to happen. Well, Nick, I was going to ask you, uh, in light of this report with, was it 10,000 references? Um, yeah, it was like 14,000 studies or something. Uh, which has said drastic action is needed right now. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to go over the already pretty fucked amount of 1.5 degrees. What has the Australian government had to reply to that, Nick? Yeah, so I think we will get to the international stuff because obviously that's important. But let's go home first. Obviously, uh, you know, Barnaby Joyce and ScoMo will not confirm that there's going to be a net zero by 2050. So, they're still drawing the line there. Yeah, no. Uh, and is Barnaby still, um, like, a big, you know, like, anti-believer in climate change? Yeah, look, the, I think it's pretty clear the nationals are really towing the line on this and, you know... It's not like this is the first time this has happened. Are uh, making it very difficult for Scott Morrison to move anywhere towards a, any kind of ambitious yeah. climate change policy. Because at, at this point, I think ScoMo actually would want to, because he sees the political benefit of doing that. Oh, absolutely. But with that slim majority, he can't do anything, and he doesn't want to risk doing something like Malcolm Turnbull did, which ultimately ended his prime ministership. This is true, because I remember Barnaby under I think it was the Abbott government. He was like. He did a press conference once and he was like, look at the weather today. It's not too hot. Everyone's wearing jumpers. Therefore, it can't be global warming. Yeah. Cutting edge science. Fucking Analysis. grim stuff. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, no, ScoMo's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place here. Yeah. I mean, Barnaby Joyce had this you know, hilariously sad interview from, from the point of me where 
he was asked, you know, is he, why does he not have a net zero by 2050? And he was like, oh, it's nice to have a, like a target it's from a moral standpoint, but where's the plan? You know, where's someone saying we're going to do this, like we're going to have electric cars. That's and the reporter was like, that's, isn't that your job to make a plan? <laughs> and he said that that would be the job of the CSRO. ScoMo later confirmed that it actually would be the job of government and of cabinet. Right. Um, but yeah, ScoMo... I think he feels the pressure to do something by the next uh, international summit, which I think is in Copenhagen later this year. He's not going to be able to though, right? I think, it, yeah, he's not going to be able to do much for sure. He's not going to be able to for sure because like that whole uh, nationals part of him is really towing him back. Yeah. And this is something that I've thought about a lot lately. If the nationals are such a headache for the Liberal Party, why don't they just say, all right, you're on your own then? Because the Nationals are the minor party in that coalition. The junior party, if you will. The Nationals have no power without the Liberal Party. Well, potentially, if they lose the next election, uh, and the Liberal Party decide they need to do some major rebuilding, like if they actually get thumped. I don't think that's happening, though. Well, yeah, say, just pretend that that happens for now. Like, that would, I think... I'd love to. Yeah, that would cause them maybe something like that to happen. But they would need to get really thumped, I think. Oh, for, yeah. Yeah, the the left of the Liberal Party to be like, all right, guys, come on, we have to end this archaic relationship with the Nationals. The Nationals are truly the worst institution in Australia, in my opinion. <laughs> what about the Australia Club? Uh, forgot. We. Always, I always say this, don't I? I hate the Nationals so much, but I always forget about the Australia the Australia Club. Club. Um, yeah, the Nationals aren't great. They're looking out for regional Australia, but are they really? No, they're not. They're looking out for very specific industries in regional Australia. Big that is business. certainly true. It's just, uh, it's infuriating to see um, this country just continue to be in neutral on this issue. There's just no plan for energy at all, is there? When the rest of the world is moving ahead rapidly at this point. And le- well, let's talk about the rest of the world, though, because ScoMo is now apparently leaning more on this argument of, uh, I want China, Indonesia, India to be doing more, you know, these developing countries to be doing more on climate change before we come to the table, you know, before we set really ambitious targets. Yeah. So he's leaning on that argument more now, I think, to distract from the... <laughs> How poorly he's doing at it. Yeah, embarrassing things that are happening back home. But, you know, I, in, in some respects, is that a fair point? Because, you know, you, the West is starting to cut down their emissions. Not Australia, but other countries are. China is not doing it as quick as we need them to. Yeah, look, so there's two arguments you can take here. There's the Western argument of, like, all right, well tough titties we just have to keep going and have to do this right now otherwise the world's fucked right and then there's the developing argument of well you western nations use uh, you know fossil fuels and you know things that emit heaps of carbon into the world to develop your economies and you also you know while you're at it took over our our land and stuff like that and now you're saying we can't do that? Like, where's the justice in this? Like, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. And certainly a valid argument. You can understand how someone in that country might have that perspective. Oh, and absolutely. However, I think that is no longer an argument that can really be sustainable. It's just, it, it, like, it is an existential threat, the climate change, climate change yeah. at this point. 
That, so, and I also think that developing the economy without fossil fuels is easier than ever now. That is true as well. Well, yeah. I, I Particularly think, in command and control economies like China. That's true. But in these big countries like India, I think they still rely on a lot of fossil fuels to just get that raw amount of power they need for you know, a billion plus people. So I think just a transition will take longer. But, you know, if everyone, if literally everyone else uh, does the right thing, then I think, you know, we're, we'll be getting somewhere. But if all these Western countries are like, hang on, we're not going to start until you start. Obviously, it's going to be a chaotic well, they're just death say, spiral. Well, we're not going to start till you start. The great standoff, right? Yeah, and then the whole world is flooded. We're all dead. And also, like, how, you know, is it really ScoMo's point in a country as rich as Australia and developed as Australia to go, mm, no, actually, I want, I want you guys to give us a, you know, show that you're willing to do this. Like, well, surely we should be leading the way as a middle power. Absolutely, yeah. As a country that is so wealthy... We're just going, nah, fuck it. It's not our problem. Yeah. It's ridiculous, Nick. Yeah. If countries like Australia won't pull their fair share when they're absolutely in the position that they could definitely do that very easily. Yeah, definitely. Then, you know, yeah, I, I think the other countries can start asking, well, why are we doing this? So, obviously, Australia needs to do its part. Yeah. Absolutely, Nick. Couldn't agree more. And just briefly before we move on, I will go back to WA because McGowan has put his two cents on this. He's contemplated maybe setting a 2050 target because as we've said on this podcast before, WA, one of the only states to not have a net net zero by 2050 target, but he's refused to rule out stopping any new natural gas, um, oil or uh, fossil fuel explorations or infrastructure projects in WA. So there you go. Obviously, the uh, the guy who runs the country in WA will be very close to the mining companies and the resource companies. Yeah, it's it sucks to see, right? Um, that even a labor leader in this state can't enact anywhere near a, a climate policy because of the stronghold that mining has over this state. Yeah, terrible. Obviously, and we've talked about that before, but... Mark, surely surely you're popular enough that you can just fucking go, right? And yeah. And do, do the right policy for this state. I don't think he wants to. Maybe that's the... It's more about his personal psychology because obviously he is Labour right. Yeah. Just... Mm. And he has close ties to people in those industries, so... I suppose. He was at the footy yesterday, Mark McGowan. Was he? Well, he might not have been... Who does he go for? He's a Dockers man, actually. Hell yeah. Well, because he's down in, down in Rockingham, right? So yeah, surely. he's down in Rockingham. Yeah. He was, um like, there was a big ad at halftime where he's at the pub and he's like, the only way we're going to get out of this pandemic is through vaccination. So, get your vaccine. Yeah. And roll up WA. I like how they're like, all right, let's get, like, popular, like, celebrities and figures yeah. to um, be in the ads for the vaccine. <laughs> like, yeah, Mark US. McGowan. We just get Mark McGowan. <laughs> Basically, a popular figure and celebrity in WA to be honest yeah they should have gotten Donald Trump in the like kind of deep deep south states <laughs> yeah. that would have worked out well anyway Rob let's turn to something a bit more lighthearted. let's you know existential de- dread we're gonna all die um, everything's garbage everything is garbage Raymond Holt whatever I don't know Rob if you're familiar with the Hot River Principality I am Nick Lovely little part of the world. Um, 
It's just up Principality north. Principality in the north. Bit five, five hours, four or five hours up north. And it's a completely independent state of Australia. Yeah, well, I said it was a completely independent yeah. micro-nation. It was set up in 1970 when Leonard Kaisley, who after styled himself as the Prince of Hot River, uh, decided he didn't like the WA government's wheat production quotas and he formally seceded from the WA and Australia and set up his own state. And he made his own passports, his own coins. There's a hilarious website where he has a list of all these government departments. <laughs> and there's pages and pages of text. And I got quite bored reading it all. Wow. But, they, but yeah, he did set up his own independent kind of state. No one recognized him. No one important. No other states. Which did, is, did any state recognize? No. Yeah. No. But Wikipedia so. recognizes it. Well... I'm not sure if Wikipedia recognizes it, but it they... says Principality of Hot River Micronation. Yeah. Anyway, in la- last year they formally dissolved. Uh, yes. Because they've, I think, yeah, you know, the heart of it, they had a long-standing dispute with the ATO about taxes because, of course, as they're an independent nation, they didn't want to pay tax. Uh, so, I think ultimately they decided to sell the property. Dissolve the micronation and then the proceeds were went back to funding all the millions of dollars of tax they owed. Yeah, you would owe a bit of tax at this point, right? Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really make much sense that he can do that because it's crown land. Like, obviously, he's the owner, but the way that land works in this country is that it is crown land and the crown's kind of like letting you use the land in fee simple. Yep. So, it doesn't, it doesn't make much sense. But it just, it kind of raises the question, Rob, you know, do, like what happens if you don't consent to the sovereignty of the state? Because that's, you know, the kind of idea in these political theories is that you, well, you, you tacitly consent, you kind of impliedly consent by using the roads and stuff to the authority of the state. What happens if you don't want to? It's a great question, Nick. Um, and, you know, it's something that's tough to really uh, think about too much because, uh, you know, me and you, we just go around and we don't even think about it, right? It's just part of life. So to think about whether you actually agree to being a part of the state is unusual, to say the least. And to be honest, mate, I don't really know how, <laughs> what's going on. But one thing I will say is, you know, that tacit consent is a very important part of it. And I'm sure old mate Leonard or whatever his name was, Prince, that's Prince Leonard to you. Oh, sorry. I'm sure he made the old trip out to Northampton to get some groceries or something. <laughs> yeah. You know. I think back in the day it was quite a popular tourist destination. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, me old man went sense, there. Right? Yeah. Um, there was like, you could buy like a passport and stuff, but I think it got ran down and the, and the prince died in, in 2017 and his son Graham took over. Yeah. Obviously, kind of led the principality to ruin. But uh, Graham, the, the Gorbachev of the principality of... Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah, I think they would agree with that. I I kind of want to read a book about it because it's just, it's, it is really quite funny. It is funny. Um, I do find that sovereignty question very interesting though, Nick. Um, do you have much thoughts on it? Because clearly my thoughts were just, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think the... The thing is, if you don't consent to the running of the country or to, to you don't consent to the authority of the country, you can just leave. 
Mm. You, obviously, there's a barrier to leaving, like a financial barrier, but yeah, tough luck. Like the state's not going to support you if you don't consent to the authority. You just have to leave. And unfortunately, there's not much land kind of rocking about that's unclaimed anymore. Mate, so. there is a little bit in uh, North Africa. Oh, oh tell me more. <laughs> uh, beer to Will. It's a little bit of land, about, about the size of London, actually, uh, which is unclaimed by both Sudan and Egypt um, because uh, basically starts with the British, as, as most problems do. Ah, yes. Uh, they drew an initial boundary between Egypt and Sudan, which was just a straight line along like the 28th parallel. And then they changed it to be like a little squiggly line. And the coastal land, which is what the most important land, is what both nations claim. So Egypt claims the straight line because they get more coastal land. And then uh, Sudan claims the squiggly line, which claims more of the coastal land. But in doing so, both nations have to say, no, nah, we don't want beer to It's all yours, mate. Right. Which is very interesting. Right. A uh, few people have tried to claim beer to by the way. Oh, have they been successful? No one has recognized their claims. Right. Interesting. Um, because I think it's seen as an ongoing border dispute. Yeah. I. The, the thing is, you can't really stop anyone, any country from kind of taking your shit, can you? Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing about international law, Nick, is there's no international police. Yeah, right? yeah. So, you know, it's fully anarchical. You need friends in high places, really. You do. And that's why Australia has just been the US's little lapdog for the last, what, 70 years? Yeah. Since Pearl Harbor. And I mean, besides beer to ill, spots of Antarctica, maybe, some islands. There's probably some random islands, maybe, that are unclaimed. So I'm you not could even sure. You could do I that. Might have a, I might have a quick Google for you here, mate. Yeah, I reckon just if you can find your own island, you can definitely withdraw your consent from the state and just set up your own independent principality. But the problem with Prince Leonard was that he did it on <laughs> in Australia. Yeah, like come on. The also maybe a good thing for Prince Leonard was that. Um, because Australia is such a vast country of nothingness, and he did claim a bit of that no- nothingness. Um, maybe it was just not worth... Well, clearly it wasn't, because they just left him for 50 years for Australia to come in and say, pay your taxes, right? Yeah. Well, they didn't send in the army, which is, I think, maybe what they were scared about. But it never happened. I think maybe the old, the old ATO officer got caught up there every now and then, but... Yeah, he went in and he's like, oh, man, I'm just like few passports <laughs> for guy a few passports for kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, so Antarctica and Beer to Will are the two biggest uh terranolius parts in the world. And there's a f- oh <laughs> there's some rivers in Serbia and Croatia where the border was drawn along the river and obviously rivers change over time. Oh. So one country depending on I don't care really, but one country's claimed the river itself. As the border, so as the river changes, the border changes, whilst the other countries claim what the river used to be. Oh, very cool. So that's interesting, I guess. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we might end it there, but if you want to start your own independent micronation... Beer to wheel is the place to do it. There are the instructions, yeah. Or Antarctica. Yeah. A bit cold in Antarctica, but <laughs> might, might do all right. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And Nick, 
Don't forget to follow us on our socials. And what are those? Those are at Underrepresentative Swill on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and at Swill Podcast on Twitter. Everyone, get vaxxed. You have no excuse. Yes, get vaxxed now.